You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. It was December 2005. One way to tell that you're still in child mode with your parents is when you want to impress them even when you're 30 or 40 or 50 years old. Maybe you just want them to be happy for you, or maybe you're looking to settle an old score. It could be both. And I have this little drawing, and I'm saying to them, to my parents, guess what wonderful thing I'm going to do soon, even though I didn't follow your career advice. And my parents on the sofa are saying, tell us, tell us. Maybe you got a promotion at work, or you got invited to the president of Earth's birthday party, or you won a Nobel Prize, or maybe you want to tell your parents that you're going to the Galapagos Islands, a place that they themselves had gone 30 years ago, and it's for work, which means A, you have to go, and B, it's even cooler than going there as a tourist, really. One must admit this fact. I decided to bestow a call upon them and let them share the excitement. Raw's Chass cartoons have been published in The New Yorker, Scientific American, The Harvard Business Review, Red Book, and Mother Jones. Her most recent book is The Theories of Everything, Selected, Collected, and Health-Inspected Cartoons of Roz Chass from 1978 to 2006. She also illustrated The Alphabet from A to Y with bonus letter Z by Steve Martin. Her new book is Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? Thank you for joining me, Roz. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Roz, one of the things I really like about this book is that it it examines a relationship we don't often see examined in great detail, which is the relationship between adults and their adult parents. And that's a very complicated relationship. (laughs) It is. It really is. I, I think one of the things, at least for me, was that it involved coming back into a relationship with them in a different way and you know you you grow up and then you move away from your parents and you get away and you set up your own life and and this at this point in their lives I had to step in and get more involved in taking care of them so I was not only coming back into a much more prolonged contact with them but coming back in a whole different context this is a really beautifully architected book and and the way it's written and the way the stories flow there are stories within stories there's a big story a big character arc Uh, talk about creating the individual pieces and then the interstitial pieces and putting this together as a book uh that was in some ways the hardest part of this i had a sense in my head that it would make an interesting story and it was something I really wanted to write partly for myself because I guess that's for me like how I make sense of things in a certain way and I knew generally where it began and it w- you know it wasn't going to be a memoir covering like my whole life with them it really was about this last part of their lives and you know which was so intense taking care of them I knew it began when when I realized I had to sort of step in and deal. And I didn't really want to, and how complicated all of that was. And then I knew sort of where it would end, which would be, you know, with their with their deaths. 
And in between, I wanted to talk about a lot of things, not just the day-to-day events of that time, but also like who they were, what formed them a little bit, uh, what my relationship with them was like, what my a little bit of what my childhood, my you know the years I spent with them were like. But yeah, it definitely had. It, it was you know I I wanted it to have a certain arc, not just be like little bits and pieces all stitched together. How long did you spend writing all these pieces? Some of the pieces I did, I I I'd been doing all the way along because the way it works is I submit weekly to the New Yorker and I submit a group of cartoons every week uh, we call it the batch and when I say we I mean all the cartoonists on staff more or less staff we call it uh, our weekly batches and everybody does anywhere six eight ten eleven cartoons every week it's like sketches and then the editor chooses among those cartoons what they're gonna buy if you're lucky one sometimes none a couple of times a year maybe they'll buy two and in a way, doing the batches, I always have a lot of different kinds of cartoons in them. Some of them are sort of, I think of them as sort of genre cartoons that really don't have to do anything, do much with about it, you know, do with anything outside of like the cartoon universe kind of. And some of them are sort of like maybe they have a lot more to, to do with something that actually happened in my life, like the oven mitt story in the book, or which really was something that my mother, you know, I was visiting them and I noticed this like ancient oven mitt which was like burnt and disgusting and like you know I had this sort of weird conversation with her about it and I realized it was patched she had sewn a patch on the oven mitt or my father telling me about an infection that he had gotten from washing a set of dirty checkers this was also turned into a cartoon so some of the cartoons in the book were pieces that I had done long long before I ever thought about doing this book but they fit into the book because it really as I said I wanted to to write a little bit about and draw about what they were like. Uh, I think you do such a great job of creating their characters and creating yourself as a character. It's really immersive and enjoyable to get to, to know these people. And I really like them both, even, you know, they seem so uh, real. <laughs> I guess. I, you see a lot, of, a, a lot of characters in books walking around, and these people seem like people you might actually see walking around yeah they they were very real and they were they were great I mean I really they made me bats but I really did love them um, I mean I think my, people's relationships with their parents are complicated and have many layers and uh, that was cer- certainly be true for the one I had with them uh, so let's talk a little bit about your parents, because what's interesting is we get to see them individually and together, and they're different individually and together. We also get to see them in prose and in your drawings. And the way you uh, go back and forth between pure prose and drawings and prose in the cartoons is really fascinating to me. How, talk a little bit about just that kind of process. Um. For me, it was really very instinctive. I mean, it, there were certain pieces that seemed more like uh, cartoon, you know, with panels kind of thing, which would have like a title. And then there were certain ones that were really just prose, uh, you know, where there was more writing. And 
it was really like feeling my way through it. I mean, I don't, I'm not being like deliberately, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, what were you? No, you, you're, you're obscuring about it. Uh, I just can't. I, it was very um, instinctive. That's what it feels like. It feels right, is what. Yeah, when that's we read it. what I'm trying to say. That like I did when I was when I was doing it. It was like this. This part feels like I'm not going to make myself do it in panels if that's not the way it seems like it, it needs to be told. I tried to tell the parts of it the way they best need to be told. Well, one of the characters in this book is your neighborhood where your parents lived all these years, and I love the way you tell a little bit of the story, and then you just show us a picture of the neighborhood and the. Names on the store <laughs> are so great. Talk about coming up with that piece. Oh, oh, yeah. There's, you know, I'm sure it's all being gentrified. Like, as we speak, probably, like, you know, dusty, dirty grocery store is now turning into some, like, boutique chocolate shop or something like that. Um, just I, by the end of this program, like, entire blocks are going to be, like, raised in, like, some, like, expensive condo is probably going to be built in its place. But uh, when, I, when I was visiting my parents for all those, you know, years, um, like that period from around 2001 when I started seeing them until 2006 or seven, when I got them, maybe 2007 when I got them um, to move out of their apartment. It was just the grimmest, most depressing, depressing. It was like, you know, these little tiny grocery stores where like, you know, you couldn't, the American cheese looked like it had been there. And I think that pro that American cheese probably like lasts like 10 years anyway but like it would have dust on it you know it was just <laughs> gross and I just god I hated it talk about making that what brought you back into their lives and when after that event you reached the decision to write about this when you started to see this as a whole story um it definitely was not at the beginning um I didn't really want to think about it that much at the beginning. I wanted to just do what needed to be done, which was at the beginning just visiting them, bringing them groceries, making sure everything was okay, and then getting out of Dodge, which I know sounds awful, but I mean, I was not living in Brooklyn. I had two little kids still at home in Connecticut. And getting into Brooklyn, it's not that far, you know, as the crow flies, but it's, again, it's like, you know, when you're dealing with traffic in a big city, it takes maybe an hour for me to get from where I am into Manhattan, and then it could be like another two hours into where they were, an hour and a half to where they were in Brooklyn, because it's just traffic, and it's really dense. Again, it was one of those things where I probably should have started to do it earlier, but I remember very clearly the day, it was September 9th, 2001, where it suddenly occurred to me um, that I really needed to go out and see where my parents were living. They were in their 80s at that point and seeing how they were doing, you know, in their own native habitat. And they had come up to Connecticut to visit me and my family and our little kids. They would, my mother at first, she drove. Um, and then I didn't want her to drive up anymore. They, they would take car service, and they would stay for a few days and then go back home. But I hadn't visited them in Brooklyn for a really long time. Since, from 1990 to 2001, um, I did not visit them in their native 
land. You know, when you say they were 85, that's really pretty old. They were. And, and that's one of the things I think that's interesting about this book to me is that uh, kind of in the background is this idea that there's a real disjoint between our technology and our society and the way we're able to live longer, and but we're not able to deal with it any better. Yeah. I mean, it, we, it's, we're like Wile E. Coyote running off the edge of the ledge. We're 10 feet past it and our legs are spinning, but there ain't nothing under there. Yeah, well, it's, it's a little scary. I don't think we figured this out, like how we're going to do this. If people are able to live, you know, well, it's one thing if you're like in your 90s and you're in fine health and you don't need a lot of help, that's great. Um, but if you are in your 80s even, and you're in your 90s, and you're past 100, and you can't live independently anymore, and you need help, what what happens? I mean, I, I don't know how, what the solution is going to be. I know with my parents, um, I, I did the best I could. I, I didn't feel, uh, I, I couldn't take them into my house because it wasn't really set up for them. It was not a big house, it was a little house, and I don't think they would have wanted to do that anyway. Um, I mean, it's a little house, and I had two little kids, and, um, and my husband, and, you know, only one bathroom downstairs, and I don't think they would have been comfortable with that. And, um, and the idea of having 24-hour care in their apartment in Brooklyn, if I were living in Brooklyn, that would have been one thing, but as I said, I was living like two, two and a half hours away, so I didn't feel comfortable hiring anybody because I wasn't there to sort of, you know, keep an eye on it, and, and like, what if that person couldn't come? And you're really trusting that everything is going to be fine. I wanted to make sure when they got to a certain age that, like, I could see them frequently to make sure things were okay, and I knew if they were living that far away, I wouldn't be able to, so I did the only choice left was then to bring them out of their apartment and to bring them up to like about 10 minutes away from me into a place in in Connecticut and that wasn't ideal but it was like the least bad of the options I think uh, I, I love the part in this book where you describe the first kind of intimation of that things are going south faster than you can handle which is grime grime yeah <laughs> yeah and grime was just the, I mean, it was, that was like aesthetically not, and not pleasant. And it was also not something I liked to see because I knew my mother used to be pretty good about cleaning. Um, but that was not as scary as my father leaving the stove on and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, you talk about creating your mother's and your father's character because this gets to their relationship with one another and their relationship to to you. And as a writer, you, you give us a lot of yourself, and it seems like that must be pretty hard. Um, well, I did not want to... I didn't want to write a book that was some... It, I would just, you know, phony Hallmark version of this. I just, I don't know. I just could not see doing that. Um, and it, I don't think it would have been respectful to them, you know. Um, it would be sort of admitting 
things were so terrible, I have to like make up a whole phony baloney version of it. And uh, I don't know, I really wanted to convey a lot of feelings that I had about them, which were, you know, a lot of different feelings. There was, you know, a lot of love and gratitude and resentment and um, guilt and, you know, hilarity and despair and, uh, you know, fear um, and everything, you know. Guilt and fear make the world go round. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Let's talk, you know, your mother is such an interesting character because she's kind of the, you know, the the rock in the relationship. Oh, yeah. It's a little bit of a, 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 a reversal, role reversal. Yeah, well, she's, you know, a very admirable person. Mm-hmm. She was the kind of person that you would want to have in a crisis. I mean, she was very decisive. She was really smart. I don't think she was if she was introspective I wasn't aware of it um, in fact I, I think that it, it was it, there was there was a lot of things that, that were like you know this like generational difference where the kind of um, you know questioning yourself and you know your behavior that we do more of in our generation I don't think that she that made any sense to her you know to her it was navel gazing <laughs> It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty familiar. I yeah. think I've heard that <laughs> phrase before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the things I like about the, the characters is um, getting to know them alone and together, and there's a great place where we get to see them. You know, they behave kind of differently alone. Your mother's, you know, kind of a manager type, and your father's a, a scholar. Yeah. And, and um, but when they get together, they become this kind of unit, and there's a great piece called The Apartment of Mirth. I really oh. love that, how you work that out. Well, they were, my mother used to say that the rocks in his head match the holes in mine, and they really were this kind of unit. And so this uh, olives thing was, you know, my father wants four olives, and she's, you know, are you trying to kill yourself? And uh, he says, okay, I'll have one. And then she's like, well, why don't you have two and see how the olives are sitting? And suddenly it's like, you know, no, I'll ha- I really, you, I sh- I'll have one. No. And you don't even know what's going on. Like, how, why aren't you just letting dad, you know, and I'm, I'm step in and say, why don't you let dad be the boss of his, how many olives he eats? And then they both like turn to me and it's like, stay out of this, you know, because it's their thing. You know, I, it's not up to me how they like do their relationship. This is, you know, what they do. One of the things I think that you do in this book so well is the drawings are so charming that you kind of defang a lot of the uh, uh, grief or the, the you know the undercutting terror and uh, and the uh, upsetness that this causes. And the drawings of yourself in that in that particular piece are great <laughs> because your eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> until you just like two X's and you're, you're kind of bowled over. And I really like that kind oh, of... Uh, good old cartoons. You can like say a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's one of the things that when I was reading this book, I was thinking, you know, how much the work you let the drawings do and it does a lot of work and it's an interesting form for me of reading because it's not like words so it's talk about you know making those decisions the images and the words I, I think one of the things about cartooning 
and cartoons that I love is that if you are a person who likes to write and likes to draw, and if you feel that there's a certain kind of Siamese twinning of the two where you can't really separate them, it's such a great medium. And it's so flexible that in a graphic novel or a graphic memoir, as this is, you can change the proportions. You know, you can have like 50% read, uh, 50% words, 50% drawing, and then you can like switch, but you can switch around the proportions so it's like 10 and 90 or 90 and 10, just depending on how it's best told. And I mean, for me, I like going back and forth between the two. And there were certainly things in this, you know, parts of this book that I, I definitely wanted to tell in words, not in pictures. And then there were things that were better to tell in pictures, you know, like my father's reaction when my mother comes back from the hospital, you know, where <laughs> he's page. just, yeah, he's just like so happy to see her. He's just like, he's beyond, he is like beyond the bounds of like his human self of joy. Yeah. Well, talk a little bit about your father, because I really liked him. He's such an interesting character, uh, and I could. He was he was just this wonderful, wonderful guy who was very dependent on my mother, and um, she steered the ship, and he wanted her to steer it, and he was very sensitive. He she would sometimes. He worried a lot. He was, you know, a sort of a maestro of anxiety. And he he would, like, chain worry. You know, he worried about things that were insane. He, you know, you would be, like, at the counter and taking a, a cap off a bottle of seltzer, and he would, like, you know, he was a French and Spanish teacher when he was working, and he'd look at me and go, Cuidado! And I'd say, what? What am I doing? You know, it's, it's like I'm not playing with, not juggling, you know, machetes or anything. It's like, what What am I doing? I'm opening up a bottle of uh, soda. And then he would tell a story about somebody he knew who had his eye put out by, like, the seltzer, like, exploded the cap off, and the cap went into the guy's eye. And it's like, Dad, A, this is not, like, some, like, highly pressurized, like, bottle here. And B, I'm wearing glasses. You know, this would be really, like, quite the, you know, newsworthy event, um, if this, so, but, you know, is, this is the way he was. He worried about everything. He could, like, look around, you know, this room, and he would immediately see, like, you know, is that pipe safe over there? And, you know, um, <laughs> I remember once he saw, um, I don't think this is in the book, but when my son was about uh, a year old or so, and my parents were visiting, and, uh, he was wearing, my son was wearing a diaper under his stretchy, as one-year-olds generally do. And my father had probably forgotten what the diaper under a stretchy looked like. And he was alarmed by the kind of appearance of the bulge of the diaper. And he just, like, looked and he said, oh, is that some sort of condition? And <laughs> Dad, it's a diaper. It's 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 just his diaper. Uh, the yeah, he worried. He worried a lot. Now there are different stages to this dealing with your parents, and uh, you do a good job of giving this to him. First, one of the early stages is the elder lawyer oh, and, yeah. and dealing with their money in the first of many traumatic dealing with your parents' money events. Oh, it was you know. 
I, I put that into just the category of like logistics. It's like there was a there was a lot of once I had to deal with their paperwork. There was the money, there were their pensions, there was the rent, there was their income tax, uh, there was the insurance. There was just a lot of stuff to deal with that I had no idea uh, how anything worked because we had never talked about it. And uh, the thing that was great about the elder lawyer was that he knew the questions to ask. and. Um, like things like healthcare proxy. I had no idea that there was such a thing. I had no idea that there was such a thing as an elder lawyer either. This was a wonderful thing uh, that somebody who had dealt with, you know, taking care of her 98-year-old mother, she knew this person in Brooklyn who was an elder lawyer. She had known him from college days, and he was a great guy and smart and, you know, very good at this, and he could come over to my parents' apartment. He was in Brooklyn also. And so he came to the apartment, and I was there too, and he was able to talk to them about all of these things and, you know, the will and the healthcare proxy and power of attorney and these things that, like, I knew nothing about, you know, just nothing, 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 figuring out, like, their bank book stuff. I love the bank book stuff. The, your drawings oh. of the bank books are just Oh, oh they're so beautiful. Well, it's just very... I mean, they were like... My parents were born in 1912. They graduated from college into the Depression. They both grew up poor. And they they were very... Uh, I mean, I'm pretty naive in not knowing about, like, money or anything like that. I mean, you know, stock market, I don't know anything. I look at it and I'm thinking, that's a really interesting, like, gray pattern, you know. I just have no idea what any of this means. Um, but they were even less worldly than I was because they never even owned a house. They just rented and rented and rented. And um, they would do things, like they would open up a bank account at some savings bank and put, you know, $2,000 in it and get like a toaster oven, which then they would never use because they already, they, they wouldn't need a toaster oven. And so, but they would think maybe they would give it to somebody. So, you know, when I cleaned out their apartment, they were like stacks of these things. And my father had these bank books from, many of them were from, you know, with like, not like that much money in them, but they were like, you know, because they had gotten these things. And many of them were like banks that had gone out of business, you know, many years ago. But yeah, this was this was their world. So they had that was part of you know this this sort of you could see it as a sort of black comedy also that you know they had really they had saved they were very good they had saved for the end of their lives I guess because that's really where it all went. The. You have a chapter called The Fall, which is a, a literal fall and yeah. a metaphorical fall as well. So uh, this is something, you know, that happens, you know, week, uh, on, uh, last week and look forward to it as well. Yeah, yeah, the fall. I mean, falling. This is what happens. It's really scary. I mean, if you've ever fallen, I've fallen occasionally, and I always, and I'm starting to get to that age where I think, God, if I were like, old and I felt like this, this would probably be something like really bad. This would be really scary. Um, and my mother fell off and it was, you know, because of this, I said, you know, I feel like, oh God, you know, it, is it my fault? Mm. Because, you know, I went to on this trip and it was for work 
to the Galapagos Islands and it was for a work thing it was for an assignment for a magazine and when I told my mother that I was going she decided to climb to the top of this ladder to look for this certificate from King Neptune that obviously not King Neptune but when my parents had gone on a cruise in the 70s to the Galapagos Islands and when they crossed the equator they got a certificate which they rolled up and put onto the, in the top of this closet, which was in the middle of the apartment called, my mother called it the crazy closet because it was like our attic and everything was in this closet. It was like every piece of luxury they'd ever bought, no matter how tattered it was, went in there, old typewriters, bathrobes, you know, rexograph machine, old, those kind of Victrolas thing. I mean, just like old record players that folded up into suitcases and, every article of clothing that they never wore but they never got rid of it just everything got shoved in there and my mother climbed up to the top of this ladder and 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 she fell off as i knew she would and that's why i told her not to do it but she she did it anyway one of the you also do a great job of describing what it's like to take your parents to the emergency ward and and these kind of once you like you, you know that once you get in the car you will not be returning home for probably 20 hours, if you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah. It's really scary. The whole thing is really not good. It's not really good, and I don't know. I mean, I just, I think when I was going through it, I felt very, in many ways, very alone. And I know a lot of people felt the same way, that, you know, when they were taking care of their elderly parents, you know, it was just like, oh, you're kidding. You're expecting, I have to do this. I have to do this all myself. I, I don't even know what any of these, I've never been to a city emergency, a city hospital emergency room, you know. But, you you know, you put one foot in, in front of another. You learn what a healthcare proxy is. You learn that sometimes you're going to have to call up. It's just like even like dumb stuff, like, you know, when, you, when I was cleaning out their apartment, it was like, oh, the cable TV box. Like, what? Oh, okay, I have to call this company, and then you're on hold for, like, ever, and then you have to pack it up, and you and it just all the details of it. It's really, and it's, I don't know, it's really very weird. <laughs> it makes it, one of the things you point out, and I think it's really true, is that it makes you aware of all the clutter in your own life, and one, one of, like, I... Oh, my God. Yeah, you just, you want to, you believe, you start to think like, you know, to Tommy Mats, that's like, that's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I, I think that one of the most interesting parts for me was that you address the money, and you address it a lot because it's important. I mean, taking care of your parents, you've got to be there. It's this it's such a complicated thing. On one hand, it's super emotional and fraught with yeah. uh, some kind of combination of guilt and terror. On the other hand, you have to be very practical and realize that this is like when once you've moved them into the place, as you call it, yeah. and it's twenty grand a month. Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite twenty grand, but it was it was close to that. You have to see it as a black comedy. Mm. You know, it's like here are these. It wouldn't have made any difference if my parents had bought a new car every month you know <laughs> it, it's if my mother had like if if she had just gone into cartier and bought herself a, a diamond pin every you know well she probably couldn't have afforded that but like um whatever it is it's like the the when you go to a place the agreement is basically 
they are going to take everything your parents ever saved up for. And that's the only way they can go to these places. And I was just talking to somebody where it was even worse. And, and I feel like there is like an... How is it worse? Oh, oh worse. Oh, this, this was bad. Um, her parents were in their 80s, and they went to a place where just to go, just to get in, they had to pay $450,000. They had to sell their house. And, and yeah, I know, and they had to pay rent, like $5,000 a month on top of that. And if they died um, a couple of years later, the place got to keep all that money. So these places, these companies that are building these places, they know that they have got you. They know that they have us, you know, they know that, what are you going to say? Like, no. It's the way it works, and you have to see it as a kind of comedy. You have to see it as like, this is hilarious. It's like, these are these par- these people who, like, when they would come up to visit me, would say, so, how much are they charging for a box of Fig Newtons in your area? And, you know, they would know. It's like, I wouldn't know. It's like, I don't know, $4, $2, I don't know. But, like, they knew the prices of things. They had no idea what any of this cost at the end they because it was all left up to me. But it's the way it works is that it doesn't really matter if you are careful about money or if you're not careful about money. It, if you're a middle-class person, it doesn't matter at all because at the end, if you go to these places, they're going to take it all, and that's the end. That's just... <laughs> I know. It's, <laughs> you have to laugh. You have to yeah. say, oh, my God, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. Is this really how it works? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. The, <laughs> I, I'm I'm going for the Soylent Green. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going for the opium. Yeah. <laughs> it's like bring it on. <laughs> uh, I really like the one of you when you put your parents in this place. Uh, you, uh, your father was the first to pass. Yeah. And, and you did some beautiful things with your drawings. There, there's a great picture of your dad when he was flat. Yeah. And, and when he first like was there, and, and it's just. It's a, such a powerful image. I'd like to talk about creating these images. And you weren't drawing your parents in there, sitting there. No, with no, 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 no. Oh, not no. except the, the ones at the very end with my mother. Mm-hmm. Those I, I did draw with her. Um, no, I, I uh, a lot of the material for this book, I wrote letters to friends, like emails to friends, when I was going through these things. And I'm very fortunate to have people that I write to and that write to me and um, and I would describe what had happened so it, you know I could look up a term I could you know do a Google search you know a Gmail search and find like the place or something like that and then you know all the letters that I had written about you know my visits to the place would come up and that really helped my memory for you know recreating a lot of the things in the book you also put in photographs and it has a feel of, I would think, almost of a, a scrapbook as novel. I wanted to include the photographs. I felt like maybe people would think I was, like, making up, like, the cheese tainer or something, you know? And I still have that, like, you know, even though, yes, I could have Photoshopped a cheese tainer. Like, why would I Photoshop a, a cheese tainer? But, like, you know, this is really, this was the cheese tainer that my mother bought this plastic bin when I was in junior high school and I don't know why she never replaced it maybe she never found another one with a sliding top or 
because you know in their neighborhood in Brooklyn there weren't stores that sold like bins with a sliding top. I mean, now we would just go online and you'd just like Google like bin sliding top. But she probably was never able to find one she liked as much and she just continued to patch it with like masking tape. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's I, this is, it, that it, I remember it so well, you know. Once your father passed, your mother was alone and you, she created stories for you. And, and I think that I, I really like the way that that idea of story carries through in this book because this book is a story. It has all these like little tiny stories. And then mm -hmm. in the end, there's these stories that are, you know, real but not real. Yeah, yeah, the stories at the end. One of the interesting things about those stories was a lot of them I could kind of see why she had created them, you know. Like, so can we as readers, yeah, it make, they make perfect sense. They make perfect sense. But, you know, they weren't real, but in her mind they were real. Like when she started telling me about this apartment house that the Board of Education owned and that she had an apartment in it, and, you know, she, she had the exact address, um, or that her father had stacks of $10,000 bills someplace. I mean... You know, they were really, they were such strange stories, but I know it was like she wanted to give me this. And they became, you know, her wish, she knew maybe that she was going and this is what she wanted to give to me, you know. Um, I, I think that uh, the way you architect the end of the book with the drawings of your mother, it's just, uh, again, so beautiful. And it's, as readers, it's interesting because we feel our own pace slowing and taking in the drawings more slowly. There's more space on the page. It's, I, I realize in retrospect, just talking about it, how much art and craft went into something that for us just translates as a very beautiful, pure emotion. Well, thank you. <laughs> did you, did, when you created these things, were you just in an emotional space or a craft space? Um. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm sorry to be so inarticulate. I mean, it was really very, uh, like, feeling my way through it, mm. um, which was sort of like how I di did the whole, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I was great at doing this. I mean, at being a caretaker. I think I even say in the book, they were not great at being taken care of, and I was not a great caretaker. Um, but I really felt like it was something I felt my way through, and uh, I think you did a fine job. I think that it it's beautiful, and I, I think it says a, I'm, what it does say is a lot about America, and nowadays not much of it good. No, <laughs> but it's, yeah, we, we don't really. It's very hard to be a needy person in this society. And it's interesting too that you think you would think that, as we all know, we're going to die. That life itself is framed by death. That we would have gotten pretty good at it by now, but we're just terrible at it. We are terrible at it, and we're terrible at it in this country. We really, really are. I think that, like, you know, people are obsessed with youth and health and happiness and that's great because those are all great things but 
um, they, there's just a whole part of life that I, maybe it's because you get to a certain age, you don't buy things anymore. And so then you're just written off. You're not, you're invisible. You're not important anymore. You're not, uh, consuming. I don't know what it is, but I just felt like I, I hope that by the time I get there, something is at least a little bit better, you know? I don't know. It's a beautiful expression of that, and it's uh, the reading experience, I think, is unforgettable, and you come away from it seeing things in a much clearer light, and, and I think you did a great job at that. Well, thank you. I've, I've been speaking with Roz Chast. Her new book is Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? Thank you, Roz. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.